Future Bulldogs, I'm Sarah. And I'm Savannah. We're both admission counselors at the University of North Carolina, Asheville. We're putting together a podcast in order to help you learn more about, connect with, and apply to one of the top liberal arts and sciences universities in the country. This is AVL Bound, the UNC Asheville Admission Podcast. Hey there, welcome to AVL Bound. This is your host, Savannah. And Sarah. And today we have with us a very special guest, one of our incredible financial aid counselors, Mr. Cody Woods. Hello. Cody, tell us about yourself. Uh, well, I am Cody Woods. I'm a financial aid counselor. Actually, tomorrow, which is December, ooh, December October 1st, is my one-year anniversary here at Asheville. You started oh on FAFSA Day! I did. Started on FAFSA Day. So That's the cutest financial aid thing. Yeah. Originally came here from Clemson after I got my master's degree in education and came to Clemson from Augusta after I got my bachelor's in communication. So here we are. Woo, Com studies represent. <laughs> cool. Well, as you may have guessed by this point, we are going to be speaking with Cody today all about financial aid. And let's jump right in. Um, Cody, what is the first and foremost important thing that a student needs to do in order to get started with being able to figure out how to pay for college? So the first thing you want to look at is your FAFSA. Um, that's kind of the ground point for all things that we do. Uh, What's some a FAFSA? Uh, so it is the free application for federal student aid, which is a mouthful, which is why we call it the FAFSA, because it's easier. Uh, so the FAFSA, in order to um, get one or to log in and create one, you have to have an FSA ID. And it's kind of cool because that will stay with you during your entire time that you are in college, even if you go to grad school or you move on to go get a PhD, a medical doctorate, or a D dental hygienist, anything of those sorts that'll follow you forever. Or if your uh, kids go to college. It may still follow you because you will have to log in and sign for your kids on their FAFSA. So what is an FSA ID and how do I get one? You go to studentaid.gov and you will register with your social security number and your name uh, and an email address, and that's where this is key, because a lot of schools are giving their students high school email addresses. You do not want to use your high school email address to create your FSA ID, because if you lose access to that email address after school, you will no longer be able to go in and click on any of the links that they send you to update or change your password or any of that information for your FAFSA or your FSA ID or anything from their websites in the future. So if you do not have a personal email address, this is a time that you will want to create one. The time and I will not suggest one company over the other for personal <laughs> email addresses because that is one thing that we do not do in this office, but please create one so that way you can have access to your own FSA ID. Your parents will also have to have one. Have to have an FSA ID. And a personal email address for both. So yes, yeah. <laughs> they will have to have one as well. Um, because as students coming in straight out of high school, your parents are typically required to put their information on your FAFSA as well. And therefore, they have to sign it. So both you and your parent or parents will need to have an FSA ID to sign your FAFSA. So it takes how many FSA IDs to complete one FAFSA? At least two. Um, I would just like to interject really quickly and encourage our listeners to use the same email address that they use to create their FSA ID and establish that account with to apply to college with. 
Um, it makes things a lot easier communicating um, if we have a personal email address that will stick with you after you graduate high school. So that that's unrelated to financial aid, but something that I just, since, since it came up, it's I mean, good advice. It's admissions and financial aid, and we both like to talk to students, and we use their email address, so you might as well use the same one so you're not having to check multiple for all things college-related. This is your foray into adulthood. It's time for a grown-up email address that you can use for, for lots of adult things like financial aid and applications and all that good stuff. So, Savannah goes to college at gmail.com. We love to see it. Exactly. Re don't email that address. <laughs> I don't know who you'll get. Um, okay, so then once we have our FSA IDs, um, can you tell us a little bit about the FAFSA, what students need to have in order to be prepared to fill it out, what that looks like, all that good stuff? Sure. We'll start with um, a date first, just because we mentioned it a few moments ago. October 1st is a magical, magical date in the financial aid world. That is when the FAFSA opens up for the following school year. So you, as a coming in student in August, you would fill out this FAFSA that opens on October 1st uh, for the 2021-2022 school year. Uh, once you are here in August of 2021, and then it becomes October 2021, the next year's FAFSA will open and you have to renew it every year. So October 1st is a magical date for us where we have to, like Game of Thrones, brace ourselves because FAFSA renewals are coming. <laughs> FAFSA is coming. FAFSA is coming. So we all know that that's the time that we are getting ready to do what we need to do. Um, so FAFSA is open. You've got your FSA ID. You've logged in and you're looking at this like, what am I looking at? Welcome to the club. We've all been there. <laughs> FAFSA has made itself a lot easier than it used to be um, in previous years. You can actually do it on your smartphones now, which is pretty cool. But you will go in and you're going to need all your basic information that you pretty much already know. Your social security number, addresses, telephone numbers, the basic things about you too uh, that you use to create your FSA ID and your profile, you're going to fill out in your student information. They will ask for any tax information or income information that you may have had two years ago from the time that you're starting this FAFSA. So if you are looking at 2021 coming into school, they're going to use your income from 2019. So if you had a job while you were in school, you do have to report the income that you made on the FAFSA. So it's time to pull out your W-2s. If you didn't file taxes, it's time to pull out your 1040s or your tax returns if you did file taxes to make sure that you have that information available. So I just, I want to make sure that we are, because it's a lot of dates and I always get confused with prior, prior year stuff. So for students that are currently applying to college mm -hmm. for the fall of 2021, they need to use tax information from 2019. Correct. Great. It will always be two years ago. And odd numbers are weird for me. So I always like to think about like the 2022 year. If that's when it's starting, you're going to use 2020's taxes. If it's starting in 2021, use 2019. So it's just whatever that fall semester is, know that you're using two, two years ago's taxes from that date. So it does get a little confusing. It used to be just prior year, but the FAFSA, the Department of Ed decided to go to prior, prior year to allow for people to have more time to file their taxes since it's open. Because if we used 2020's taxes for 2021, they're not done because we're still working and we're still making money. So if mm -hmm. it opened up on October 1st, you'd be making guesses at that point, so they've made it prior, prior year now. So uh, what 
kind of money does the FAFSA get you considered for and where does that money come from? So the FAFSA gives a lot of information to each and every school and to the department that you would list on the FAFSA and to the Department of Education about you, about your family, and about the income in the household. Uh, what I do want to point out before we get into Savannah's previous question is just that the FAFSA only looks at income that's in the household. They never look at the debt, so the outgoing money in the household uh, is strictly based off the income. So what you may see is your EFC, which is that expected family contribution that we will talk a lot about um, in many, many situations, will be what determines what kind of money that you can be eligible for at uh, various institutions. So that ESC, that expected family contribution, is the amount of money that the Department of Ed's formula that the FAFSA is made for says a family with this amount of income can contribute this amount of money or potentially could to the student's education. Um, and so that's where that number comes from. And that's what we use in our office as a basis for pretty much every type of money that you could get or source of income that you could get to help pay for your FAFSA, or your, sorry, your financial education here. So you will be looking at your federal Pell Grant, which is the biggie um, that comes from the federal government, the Department of Education is money set aside as a need-based grant for low-income families. Um, so that uh, has a typical range um, that changes each year for the EFC. And so as your EFC goes higher, the less amount of Pell Grant you qualify for. If your EFC is lower, the more Pell Grant you qualify for. So it's kind of a, an opposite scale on that end. And Pell Grant, again, just money that you get that's in a grant that you do not have to pay back to the government once you use that money and graduated. What also comes immediately from the FAFSA are going to be your direct loans. Those will be offered to you, and we will talk about loans as well and what those mean, but just know that they come straight from the FAFSA as soon as you've done them. It's not that you've applied for additional loans elsewhere or that somebody applied for loans in your name. Those came from the FAFSA, and they're offered from the Department of Education as well, and we'll talk about the different ones when we get to that part of our presentation in a little bit. So that's pretty much what you get straight from FAFSA. There are other sources of money um, that do consider your EFC. So like being a North Carolina resident, the CFNC, the College Foundation of North Carolina, they um, have a host of monies as well that they use that they send to the schools, depending on what your EFC would be as well. You can get the UNC need-based grant. You can also get the North Carolina Educational Lottery Scholarship. It all depends on, again, your residency in the state, which we will talk about as well, and what your EFC is from your FAFSA. So just to sum up, that was, that, it's a lot, and it's confusing for me, so I want to make sure that, like, we're trying yeah. to make this as um, simple. Yeah, as possible. Um, so FAFSA generally determines at the federal and state levels eligibility for students for loans and grants. Correct. And if there are any scholarships that are need-based as well, and we can talk about what need is just really quick, I can kind of go into that. That is a term that we use in our office and that the government uses a lot to determine what a student's quote-unquote need is. I joke around all the time that I always need more money, so I don't know where these numbers come from, but this is the formula that the government has put together. And the the parts of the formula that will be confusing once I say it right now, we will talk about because it's on our list of things that we're discussing today. 
um, in depth a little bit later, but it is your cost of attendance for a university minus your EFC, which is that expected family contribution from the FAFSA equals your need. If that is a positive number in the need, that's how much money you quote unquote need to attend the financial institution or to attend the institution financially. Um, if it is a negative number, then that means you have no need of money. Um, so there's no need-based money that's going to be on your account uh, is kind of how that comes up. Perfect. Okay, so we talked about the FAFSA and types and sources of aid. What about, so scholarships to UNCA, for example, is the FAFSA going to be required for students to be eligible for scholarships or is that a separate process from the FAFSA? Good question. And I will give you my favorite phrase for our office because it's literally the answer to every <laughs> question you will ever ask us. It depends. Uh, it depends on a lot of different things. So there are scholarships at the university that are strictly merit-based. So if you don't have a FAFSA on file, you can still receive that, uh, such as the PISCA scholarship that comes from the admissions uh, department at the time of being admitted to the university. But there are scholarships that are still merit-based, but they have a need component to them, meaning that you still have to have a FAFSA on file uh, in order to receive those and qualify for them. There are some scholarships out there that don't really care whether or not you have a uh, need of that. So they just want to see that you have a FAFSA that has been submitted and is on file. So they're not looking at your EFC or the amount of need that's on your account. They just want to see that you've actually completed a FAFSA. So we always suggest just to do it. That way it's out there in the event that you do qualify for any of those scholarships that are just saying, hey, did Johnny or Jill actually do a FAFSA this year? Uh, if so, here's a scholarship for them. And then there we go. Yeah, I get a lot of students who and families who don't want to fill out the FAFSA because they think that they aren't going to qualify for federal aid for, you know, the Pell Grants or they don't want loans. But yeah, if you want to be considered for any type of free money, even like a UNC Asheville grant, you need to uh, have that FAFSA on file just to make sure all your bases are covered. Correct. And it's good to note for North Carolina residents that the EFC and how it calculates your Pell Grant and how the EFC is used to calculate your UNC need-based grant from the College Foundation of North Carolina are separate formulas. So your EFC can be a little bit higher and you receive less Pell Grant, but you receive more UNC need-based grant. Because if you think of it like a, a sliding scale, if you have a zero EFC, which is the lowest it can go, that is the highest amount of federal Pell Grant that you can get. From there, as that number increases, you're basically looking at a downward slope of the amount of Pell Grant that you can get. So the line is just going down on the chart. The CFNC, UNC need-based grant, it actually looks like a triangle. So you kind of start, I assume, on your y-axis a little bit higher, and then you reach a peak at one point, and then all of a sudden it starts to drop down, kind of like the Pell Grant does. So it has a different range than your Pell Grant does, so it's good to do it even if you fall just a little bit outside of the Pell Grant range because you could get some state grant money. This is when I think of you all in financial aid is like you're, you're working a puzzle, like you're putting all the different types of aid together and all the different amounts just to make sure that the package that you offer every student is the maximum amount of financial aid that they can receive. So, And that is our goal. Anytime we send the package out, it is the best offer that we can offer at that moment. 
Um, if anything changes, then we obviously make adjustments as those changes come along. But when we send the packages out, when packaging is done for a student, um, at any point, we make sure that it's the best one that we can offer before we release it. Y'all do good work. Can you tell us about, just briefly, uh, what verification is? Because I know a lot of our students get selected for that and it can cause some stress if, they, if it just hits them out of the blue. Sure. So verification is the Department of Education's way of having each university do basically a mini audit on the FAFSAs that are submitted to the, or to the Department of Ed. Uh, so it kind of takes a little bit of work off of them, a little bit more work on us, but all we are doing is just verifying literally that the information you put on your FAFSA uh, is true and correct according to uh, the income and tax returns that you have in your household. Um, so it's complicated and not complicated at the same time. That's the way everything is in financial aid, unfortunately, but what it's we It's in college admission. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so what we do, um, and it's pretty standard across the board, is there is the very first thing you'll get is a dependent verification or independent verification worksheet. That worksheet is standard, and what you have to do is just fill it out, and what we're looking for on there is how many people are in your household. Like if you go home at each night and you count the toothbrushes is what I like to say, how many toothbrushes are there for a person? So like you got you, you got mom, you got dad, you got any siblings, you count them, and add them to the or to the dependent verification worksheet. After that, we want to know how many of those people are in college. So if you're the only one that's in college and you have five people in your household, it will look like here's the five of us and here's me in college. So that's what one of the formulas that we use and that's part of how your EFC is actually determined on the FAFSA as well is how many people are in your house and then how many of those people are in college. So that's the first step for verification. After that, Anything that we need is gonna be very specific and dependent on the situation for each and every student. Some of the most common things that you'll see that you may be required to turn in are going to be an IRS tax return transcript for either yourself as a student or your parents. All that means is, is if you go through the FAFSA and you didn't use the data retrieval tool, which is an option, and what that is, um, the data retrieval tool actually allows you to log into the IRS's website and links your tax return information straight to the FAFSA. So that way there's less information for you to type in, less chance for you to make any human errors while you're typing it. Because we all know that you would hate to say that I made $10,000 one year when really you only made 1,000, you just added an mm -hmm. extra zero. Uh, so it eliminates some of that human error, but also makes it where we will not have to request IRS uh, tax return transcripts from you necessarily because that information's already came from the IRS. So if you have questions, if you ever get selected for verification, the dependent verification worksheet's pretty easy to do by itself. If it's more requirements beyond that, you may just want to contact one, our office and just ask us questions. We do send out emails that kind of give a lot of information about each step and where you can find that information. But again, it can be overwhelming and sometimes we like to talk to people so we understand that. Um, so please call in and ask us any questions you may have about them. Okay, so we've talked about federal monies that come from the FAFSA and from the verification process, if that's another step that needs to be completed. We talked a little bit about how students can qualify for institutional scholarships uh, without the FAFSA, but the, in order to maximize their availability for federal, state, and institutional aid that they should go ahead and complete it when it opens. Um, it will be open by the time this is released, so just go ahead and get it done. What about outside scholarships? 
Woo! Uh, that is a fun topic. So outside scholarships, um, we have no control over, but you can apply for them, obviously, from outside institutions. What we commonly see are um, local religious or civic organizations that you may attend or work for or volunteer at, may uh, want to write you a scholarship check to help. Um, sometimes they don't get asked about those things and you may just be the first one that's asked them in a while and they just may have a scholarship that you can apply for. So I would definitely check out with some of those. We have um, parents that work at certain job organizations that actually have scholarships for their children that will, they will write checks. Or if you visit any of the scholarship search engines that you may use, by the way, never pay for a scholarship search engine and do not pay for people to go look for scholarships for you. That is more than likely a scam, and we do not suggest that. Um, FastWeb is free, and CFNC has a great one as well. And it is, it is trusted. Um, I've seen many scholarships that have come in uh, at a couple of my jobs from that website in particular. Um, CFNC, the College Foundation of North Carolina, also has some outside scholarships listed on their website. And then if you visit the UNC Asheville website and do types of aid and then scholarships, we also have a government. Um, so it's kind of like a national chain of scholarships that are outside that you can apply for. And the list is overwhelmingly long as soon as you look at it. So if you are like me and you see 828 pages worth of scholarships and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? There are a lot of filter options on the side that you can kind of tailor what you're looking at to um, kind of look like your situation more because that list is going to be uh, totally encompassing of everything that they have to offer um, that may not apply to you. So like grad school, uh, assistantships, those kinds of things that you can kind of knock out of the way if you're coming in for an undergraduate degree, you know you're not going to have. So you can make them more specific if you want to look at it for region-based, if you want to look at any that are specific to your uh, gender, um, you can look at a lot of different options, I think, on there that you can tailor to kind of figure your own profile out and what you're looking at. But students can bring those with them if they apply and are awarded to UNC Asheville. Correct. And what you'll want to do the moment that you find out you're awarded is forward your uh, award letter to your financial aid office because we will need that. Uh, as outside scholarships do count, again, as forms of financial aid, it can affect your financial aid that you receive from the institution. And we just want to make sure that you are not going to or that we are not going to be in bad standing if there's either too much money or it's not processed correctly on your account. So we want to make sure that we are all in good standing with the Department of Ed at the end of the day and make sure that your money gets here and is accounted for. Great. Can you run us through the timeline for the process real quickly? So we start with October 1st, FAFSA day. What happens after that? So October 1st is FAFSA. Uh, you will want to get that complete um, just as quickly as possible. We normally start reviewing those for the incoming class uh, towards the end of the year-ish, um, just to make sure that one, we give time for people to uh, get those submitted, but also this is real time. So we're still working on what we for our current students that are here at the university right now so it gets a little wishy-washy so we start pulling them in a little bit later in the year we uh, look at those uh, we start selecting any of those that need to be verified for verification and then we start the process of packaging for those that do not or are not selected for verification so you won't see 
your uh, financial aid package until closer to the end of the year slash the beginning of the following year once those are released. The incoming class is given the priority. We don't even look at the FAFSAs for continuing students um, until after we have awarded the freshman class. So you get priority because we realize that you have a decision to make and a deadline to meet. So we wanna make sure we give you that full attention. So once that has been completed and you have your financial aid package given to you and you have that piece of mail, because that's what we do, we send out your first one in the mail, you will get an original letter that says, hey, congratulations, here's your financial aid package in this overview. Um, we will update live anything that comes in after that. So your initial package will be in the mail. After that, you will have to check your one port, which is our student system here. Uh, for any updates that come through. We don't send the mail out every time we make a change to your financial aid package because we would go through a ton of paper uh, and postage. So we just make the updates electronically, which you can see live. And then you will make your decision and you know when decision date is admissions. Historically, right? it's been May 1st. Yeah. Uh, last year, they pushed it to June 1st because of COVID, um, but I would imagine that the since this timeline hasn't really been altered um, in a sudden and drastic way at this point, knock on wood, that the, they'll push the candidate reply date back to May 1st this year. Yeah, that's pretty standard across the board. And we want to make sure that all your information is done. So if you got selected for verification during this process, you won't see your financial aid package necessarily, like if your neighbor has also applied and they were not selected for verification, they may get their package before you if you've not completed the verification process. So you'll wanna make sure that you are reading your emails from the UNC Asheville Financial Aid Office, um, because we will let you know if you are missing any documents that we need in order to finalize your financial aid, just to make sure we get it to you as quickly as possible. So do keep that in mind that there's not a hard deadline on any of that information. So if you ever call in and say, what's the last day I can complete my FAFSA? Well, there's not one. You just have to complete it uh, within that academic year that you're applying for. But you obviously want to get it done. The sooner, the better. So that way, one thing is taken off of you. There's less stress for you to have to worry about later. And you have the most information that you can at the time that you need to make a decision as possible. You mentioned RDS earlier. What does residency determination look like? What does that mean and how does it impact financial aid? So RDS, the residency determination system, is uh, a fun company here in our state of North Carolina that they actually make the determination whether or not a student is classified as a state resident. Uh, if you've not gone through the RDS process and you've lived here your entire life, then you would not be considered an in-state student at the time that you've applied to the university because you do not have the RCN, that residency certification number, from their company to indicate that you are, in fact, a resident of North Carolina. What then happens is admissions will put you in as an out-of-state student because we did not receive that number. Uh, and so when that gets to our office in financial aid, we say, okay, this student is out-of-state. Well, that automatically starts making changes on your account because your cost of tuition will be increased because you will be an out-of-state student. The types of aid and the amount of aid you will get changes based on your residency status that will disqualify you for any of the state grants if you're considered out-of-state. Um, it will disqualify you for 
certain other grants that are required for being a resident of the state and those scholarships, but at the same time, it will open doors to ones that are only there for out-of-state students. But again, the uh, difference in the cost of attendance is something that you will not want to do because the billing office will charge you as an out-of-state student as well. So it affects all of these offices and you'll just want to make sure you get that done in a timely manner. Um, so we're not panicking and we're not trying to correct your residency status, you know, the day before classes start or anything and you are trying to figure out what to do with an out-of-state bill when you've been a state resident your entire life. But I do think a good segue here because we keep seeing RDS is to talk about some of the acronyms that we use a little bit just to kind of define some of them. So it's kind of back and forth. Uh, but RDS is the residency determination system that is a company that you will use to determine your state residency. EFC we discussed as the expected family contribution. Yeah, um, I just want to make that clear for students that individual institutions in the UNC system do not determine residency. So we have no control over, our financial aid officers have no control over whether or not you get billed as an in-state student. So please, if you live in the great state of North Carolina, go ahead and fill out your RDS and send us that number. Uh, you can send it to admissions at unca.edu. You can email your individual counselor. Um, just reach out to us and give that number to us so that when you aren't surprised when we, you know, finally put your financial aid package together and you see $40,000 where you should see 17. And if you do it before you submit your application, there's a space on the application to put your, your residency certification number. So if you do your residency determination ahead of time, um, then you can just put it on your application and it'll get automatically updated in our system. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Yeah. So anyway, Akron, I just wanted to throw out there while we were talking about RDS that it, it's not, not our fault. No, it, and it's not. So, I mean, that's a really good point is that we cannot make that determination, even though you may have known your admissions counselor for years now, they can't make that change for you. Like we have to have that number on file. Uh, so RDS, the residency determination system, we're familiar with that now. The RCN, which is that residency certification number, that the RDS gives you. You can see where all these acronyms get confusing and come into play. Uh, your EFC, which is that expected family contribution, again, is that number that you get from your FAFSA once it's completed. We talk about a SAR report, so S-A-R. That is your student aid report that you receive when you hit submit on your FAFSA and it has been processed. The Department of Education or FAFSA will send you an email that has your SAR report in there kind of redundant because we say SAR report and it's a student aid report. Uh, so it's like, kind of like saying student aid report report. Uh, you will get that in an email and you will have all the numbers that you typed into your FAFSA basically in front of you again. Um, so it just gives you email a, come. Sorry. When does that email come? Like after a student hits submit, when do they get their student aid report? So they will get that the moment that they, the, the FAFSA has been processed. So within two days of them actually hitting submit. Um, and getting that done. So that's kind of the acronyms, the big ones that we use in here that you'll want to make sure that we know about because we may ask you for a copy of your SAR report at, at some point. What about COA? That's another acronym that I've heard used. That's a good segue. So COA <laughs> is your cost of attendance, um, which is important to the university. Their cost of attendance has two different um, names that it can be known by depending on who you ask and when you ask them. 
Cost of attendance is important for you as a student because that is the expected cost of attendance of what you can expect to pay at the institution in an academic year, and that being fall and spring. We do not include summer in that until we think or know that you are taking summer courses. So do know that that is just for spring and, or sorry, for fall and spring. If you call me and ask me about your cost of attendance, I may throw out the term budget. Budget and cost of attendance are pretty much the same thing hand in hand. We just have different terminology that we use for them in our office sometimes because the cost of attendance serves not only as an indicator for you to know what you can expect to pay at the institution, but it also serves as the cap of the amount of financial aid that you can receive in an academic year. So currently for the 2020-2021 academic year, the cost of attendance for an in-state student is $20,858, which means they can expect to pay that amount while they're here for fall and spring, but also that that is the maximum amount of financial aid that they can get for fall and spring. Uh, we can award them $21,000 even if they had a $21,000 scholarship. Otherwise, we are in bad standing with the Department of Education and their sanctions and fines. So the school has to stay in good standing to make sure that we keep our money for other students to come to school here, but also serves an, uh, as an idea for you to know what you're paying and how that cost is broken down. So your cost of attendance has several different categories on there that you'll notice. Uh, we have billable items and non-billable items, and those terms are just direct costs, which are your billable items, and your indirect costs, which are your non-billables. Direct cost is typically, for, uh, for the incoming class, your tuition fees, room, and board. Board is the word that they use for meal plans. It is not a fancy two-by-four like I thought it was when I was going to college, because <laughs> uh, I wanted to know why a two-by-four costs that much money. Anywho, the... Yes, tuition fees, room and board is your direct cost. Your indirect costs are things that the school cannot bill you for. So those are gonna be your books, your supplies, travel expenses, uh, if you want a pizza on a Friday night, like those things aren't kind of built into the system, but we do account for the fact that you will have to spend money on them, which is why they're in your cost of attendance. That way it allows for financial aid to come in and help pay for a portion or all of those expenses. If we just cut your cost of attendance down to the direct cost, then all you would get money for is tuition fees, room and board, and we couldn't allow for books and supplies. So I always tell students when they um, are looking at different schools and asking about costs to make sure that when they say how much does your school cost, they know what the answer they're getting means. Right. So if you ask an admission counselor, like how much does your school cost per year, make sure you're clear about whether that is just tuition and fees, is that direct cost, is that cost of attendance, because those numbers can look very different at just one institution. So make sure that when you're comparing costs, that you're comparing apples to apples and you know um, exactly what your answers mean. Yes, and that's very good to know because if you call in and ask, I mean, anybody in this office even and said, how much does your school cost? you can get a different answer from everybody in our office because their idea of how much or what cost means to an individual is gonna be independent and kind of dependent on your situation. I will probably always give you the cost of attendance just because that's the maximum that you'll know, but some people will just tell you that the cost of attendance is you know, 3,700 because that's roughly tuition and fees, but they're two for different the semester. numbers. <laughs> right, for a semester. And you're not gonna know what you're looking at because they're a whole different, they're 
completely different numbers. So you do want to clarify that. Savannah had a great point there. Um, just so you know what you're looking at and not getting a slice of an apple and not the whole thing. Love, love bringing it back to that metaphor. Cody, you've taught us so much today. Thank you for your time and for all of your expertise. You're very welcome. If there are questions, you can always email our office at finaid, F-I-N-A-I-D, at unca.edu. You can also email your admission counselor if you want. We can't guarantee that we will have the answers, um, but we will certainly try and we'll make sure that we get you in touch with an expert like Cody uh, anytime that we do not. Well, I think that will about cover it for today. Cody, thank you so, so much. Um, happy FAFSA day tomorrow. Happy one year anniversary at UNC Asheville. Yay. We appreciate you, Cody. You're awesome. You guys are awesome. All right. We'll see you next time, Bulldogs. All right. Bye. AVL Bound is brought to you by the UNC Asheville Office of Admission and Financial Aid. Our producer is Nate Corbett, with music brought to you by the UNC Asheville Pep Band. Thank you.